This is Bragg, the son of Balan, and you're listening to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast. Welcome to the world of Middle-earth. are lit. Lotro calls for aid. And Brog shall answer. It's Amandine. Narcissistic banter is kindled. Welcome back to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast that also dabbles in books, movies, gaming, on the lore of the late great Professor Tolkien. This is episode number 72, and I'm your host, Brag of the Lonely Mountain, the Sultan of Shieldswipe, the Earl of Agro. Crosser of Roads, no, I can't let that go yet, and Dwarf of Ill Repute, broadcasting live from temporary LTB MEWHQ, here in the fighting pit of Thorzand. Wow, this place beats that little sparring pit in Galtrev. Now, if only you could actually fight spar in a place like this without being jumped by 117 orcs. All right, I'm actually outside the structure at this point, so I don't get jumped, and... Uh, you know, behind me, the Gershgam plays out across the across the way. I see one of the uh, altars to one of the wise and spirits. There's a fumarole jetting behind my back. Ash is raining down from the skies from the volcanic eruptions. And uh, way off to my left, I can see uh, the prison of Nairband in front of me. Uh, there is the Thorzaf. The giant structure kind of raises out of the earth. There's, uh, you know, it basically looks like it was birthed by the rock itself. There's big jagged spires of rock climbing up its walls, as if it, uh, you know, just emerged from from the ground, fully formed. Um, there are so many spikes jutting up from this uh, from this location, as well as most of the others around Talith Uri, quickly becoming one of my favorite zones in Mordor. Um, that it looks like a, you know, maybe a comb upside down sticking up with all of its teeth. And uh, there are hooded and robed figures in the corners as well as flanking the doorways with giant spikes coming out of them. Of course, they are holding up large braziers that are lit with blue flame. Uh, and it's quite an edifice. And uh, there's, uh, of course... Just exaggerated portico, vaulting entrance covered with spikes, etc., etc., etc. And uh, why am I here? Well, I was doing this instance the other day for the second time, uh, my second tune through Talith URI. And at the end of the last day of fighting, I have to mention this, it cracked me up so bad. Um, you may remember if you've uh, completed all three of the days in the fighter's pit, and you beat the final champion, who was the winner of the last contest. Um, the orcs get so angry that you beat their champion that the angry orcs come flying out from all corners to take you down. They come out of the stands and attack you in waves. 
and they're labeled angry orcs and three of them run at you to start with and they run and they 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 launch themselves into the flaming pit at your feet if you're standing on the bridge when they come out they <laughs> they're not lined up with the bridge so they come from the sides and they fall right into the flaming pit and they're just standing at the bottom of the pit looking up at you <laughs> Um, you know, they all kamikaze off the platform into the fire, and then they're sitting, sit there looking at you like, uh, duh, what do we do now? My feet hurt, duh. <laughs> it's hilarious. What a bunch of lemmings. And uh, the, the, the next waves don't spawn because you don't kill them. They just sit there at the bottom of the pit on fire, probably in agony. And then uh, when the timer runs out, the, uh, the head orc goes, oh, you know, this guy can leave. So, um... <laughs> Maybe, you know, I don't see how a dev could possibly have done that instance and not see that happen. So I, I think it's one of two things happened. One, the bug manifested itself later, which I doubt had to have happened during QA. Second, the guy saw it and said, we don't have the time to fix this. Third, he saw it and said, this is hilarious. I'm going to leave it exactly like this. <laughs> as long as it doesn't kill the instance, everyone will better get a laugh at it. So I assume the same thing happens to everyone since this happened twice to me so far. Um, you know, the thing I like about the fording pit of the fighting pit of Thorzath is that it's a standard questing, right? It shows some inventiveness, shows a little change of pace from the rest of the zone. And I like that the uh, opponents that come out are kind of a varied crapshoot. You, you never, it's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And uh, it would be fun to see some other opponents in here uh, that might be a bit more unexpected. Hmm. I would like to contemplate that for a while and maybe address it in a future beacon. But for now, let's, first of all, crack an ale. Ooh, foamy. And viewers, I hope you're all out there cracking. Unless you're driving, viewers, don't view and drive. But if you have to crack an ale while you're driving, pull over, chug the beer, and then get back on the road. Don't do it while you're driving. And only one beer would be under the you know, limited BAC that would be allowed. So, uh, also assuming all my viewers are 21. Absolutely. Uh, let's move on to the second beacon of Alanak. Can we please? We are recording this right now. We're not. Grime, get it. As usual, we'll deal with a lot of CRAP corrections, retractions, and apologies from last week. So, last time out, we offended. The publishers of the Lotro Beacon, apparently. Uh, so uh, you may remember from the last podcast, if you were viewing then, agree to disagree, after my comments on the new community guidelines uh, included some yellow flags around how SSG and Cordovan specifically could choose to interpret them in a worst case scenario. Uh, for the first time ever, my new episode was not listed in the community fan site section of the Lotro Beacon. And isn't that an interesting coincidence? So, to all those that may have been offended, we offer a solemn and very heartfelt sorry. And if the Beacon don't need me, then I don't need them. I got my own Beacons. Here, just to prove it. <laughs> hear that? That's my beacon. I can do this all day. All right, I won't do it all day. Sorry about that. We're at Elanok. I've probably already lost most of my viewers this week. Um, viewer comments. Let's uh, check the leaderboard. 
The last review of the podcast was left by MC Blarney on June 6th of 2017, so he or she currently has our high score. As always, if you want to join this illustrious vacuum of reviewers, then please, by all means, continue to go on as you were. Uh, viewer v- feedback. Uh, there were some thoughts on LTB episode 71, Do the Doom, out there on my website at lightthebeacons.com. First of all, longtime viewer <laughs> Tommy York writes in to say, so I asked myself, what, and I think this is in response to some of my uh, some of my thoughts, suppositions, and musings on Endgame uh, and the Allegiance system. And Tommy Ark says, so I asked myself, what would my character really do once the ring was destroyed? Firstly, after getting a lump of coal for ten years worth of questing, I presume that mean he means the tenth uh, anniversary um, prizes that were available for following all those sidelines, then being asked to pick up the trash inside of Mordor. Did we ask to pick up trash? I'm sure we did, probably at some point. I mean, we sifted through rubble. Um, I don't remember trash specifically, but, you know, slag hills, etc., etc. I believe he'd tell Aragorn to go pound sand. You want to clean up this garbage dump? Go do it yourself. Secondly, after being kindred or greater... With 50-plus factions of men, elves, and dwarves, and then being asked to pledge my allegiance to them once again, I believe my character would feel significantly disrespected by the mere question of where his allegiance would lie after several years of proof. And slighted and offended, I decided to go out questing on my own path, easily leveled to 115, and now sitting comfy at 96k morale with non-essence, non-box gear, and zero grind. It's a wonderful thing. Was holding off on purchasing Mordor until it was available via Lotra Points. Now I'm thinking I'll just skip it altogether. So uh, I wrote back to Tommy Ark and I said, a perfectly valid way to play the, sa- the game, obviously. That sounds like it provides significantly less in the way of mental anguish from your perspective. But without buying into the newly introduced grinds, how do you find yourself spending your time at NCAP? Do you have other goals to motivate you or do you just be? And Tomiaric responded, right now I've been mostly bringing up another five tunes to 115 along the same route. After that, who knows? Personally, I stop when the ratio of character progression versus grind becomes even moderately slanted towards the grind. Right now, could my character get marginally better? Sure, maybe. Would it require an inordinate amount of grind to get that fraction of an increase, as well as real money expenditure? Yes. So with that, I guess I don't mind just being so I guess the real money expenditure he's talking about would be buying the Mordor expansion or to have access to the loot uh, that would be available both in Mordor for quest rewards as well as allegiance factions. And, you know, I can certainly understand his point of view on this. If you're not enjoying playing the end game, uh, then why would you bother, right? Uh, you know, if you're not gearing up for raids, you know, that's not your thing or it's not important to you, you know, what is the point? Um, to me, the story in Mordor is worth it, and seeing the space itself, of course, he could always, I believe, you can wander in here without buying the expansion and follow uh, the Black Book of Mordor, as far as I'm aware, and see the zone. Um, so in that respect, he would get to experience it. Uh, again, once again, there's many different ways to play this MMO and experience this story. And, uh, you know, like I said, I've enjoyed the story in Mordor, I've enjoyed the scenery, the Allegiance quest system, I'm sure, is going to get old when I grind through it with more than one tune. Um, 
that's why typically for Bragg, my main, uh, he's the only guy that I have, you know, try to accomplish most of the deeds and follow the script that they want you to follow if you're a completionist. And the other tunes I bring along as they, you know, as it entertains me or how, you know, try to switch things up, do things a little differently, experience the zone a little differently, um, you know, but they're not completionists, obviously. Uh, so that's an in-between view. I do know people out there who must do everything on every tune and get every piece of gear for every, you know, potential raid preparation they can. Um, you know, uh, that, uh, you know, I would look at, like Tommy Oryx looking at me, I'm probably looking at that guy going, are you crazy? But like I said, everyone's got different circumstances, different way to play. They're all perfectly valid. Uh, although mine's better. So Zinger wrote in as well saying, well done on the live egg hunt coverage. I have no doubt this sport will eventually make its way onto ESPN 111, The Ring Cho. <laughs> Reference to uh, uh, Anchorman, obviously. Also glad to hear you had a crack at the Crosser Marathon and succeeded while I have only done the mere poultry chores that are some of the prereqs for the Crosser Run. I've never done any of the big runs as a chicken. My only experiences have pretty much been guarding several egg cylinder runs to Minas Tirith, etc., I'd ask if Mountain Doom came in diet, but then again, actual diet do is probably worse for you than would be regular Doom. That's probably true. Ashes of Gorgoroth uh, versus uh, Mountain Dew's acidic eating away your teeth. Either way, I may need an eagle to fly me to the closest infirmary after ingestion. And then uh, Bragg and Thorn, another great show, Bragg. I saw Atomic Blonde and Loken Luggy. Loved them both. Looking forward to Blade Runner, Thor, and Star Wars. Yeah, I would uh, agree with all three of those choices. Made it to 115 with my champ Palador tonight. Ding! Congratulations! Going to be a while for my guard. Cannot do enough damage quick enough just yet. Have a good one, Bragg. Your fan, the other Bragg. Laugh out loud. So, um, yeah, that's one of the reasons uh, that I ended up at the end of the day when I chose the tunes to go through. Uh, that I started with Bragg and then I went to my captain. And my thinking is this. Both of these classes are DPS challenged. Probably the most two DPS challenged classes in the entire game. Um, and I wanted them to do the quests and the areas while the areas were crowded so that I could team up with others. It's helped a great deal in most circumstances uh, trying to work through busy areas with other tunes that are trying to achieve the same objectives. And uh, down the line, although they'll be squishier, I'm hoping that the LM, Minstrel, uh, Burglar, uh, Hunter, and or um, Bjorning will have a higher DPS and will go, uh, go through things a little more quickly. That's for sure. Uh, from what I've seen, I've seen Hunters and Champs at Endgame just slaying stuff right and left. I mean, you know, one-shotting or blundering entire groups in seconds. Which is uh, pretty interesting, um, and it makes me a little bit envious. But you know, there's things that guards and captains can do as well that those classes can't. So just enjoy it while you can. What else is going out in the Twitter sphere out there? There was some interesting interplay around an imaginary podcaster family tree that was uh, being bantered about these past few weeks. You all know who you are out there, uh, but apparently, um, who's my daddy? And I've got a sister and uh, grandparents, and uh, it's a little weird. Um, I'm just going to leave it at that. 
Community Spotlight. I uh, heard from old friend of the show, Endang, who obviously has been busy out on YouTube, push, um, providing uh, playthroughs of a variety of different areas, and specifically Mordor of late. Uh, Endang uh, gave me an idea for a new parody song um, that Grima would sing to the tune of uh, Sia's Chandelier, where she would say, uh, I want to whisper in Theoden's ear, Theoden's ear. And uh, that's probably a really good idea that I'm never going to pursue beyond that. But thank you for the idea. And then he also had uh, some comments on Lotro Players Cast <clears throat> to, the, uh, to the tune of the Galadriel voiceover in the beginning of the, um, the prologue for the Lord of the Rings movies. And he says... <coughs> But they were all of them deceived, for another table was made. In the land of Braxonia, in the leaves of the Braxwood, Skirmish Sultan Pineleaf carved in secret a master table to be picked up by all others, and into this table he poured his knowledge, his sap, and his will to run endless skirmishes. One table to be Picked up by them all. One by one, Lotro players picked up the table. But there were some who resisted. A last alliance of Andang and Ethelrose pulled many mobs against the skirmish sultan. And under the pine leaves of the Braxwood, they skirmished irresponsibly. Skirmish failure was near. But the desire to pick up tables could not be undone. It was in this moment... When nearly all the mobs had been pulled, that Bragg, a podcasting friend, took up Andang's keyboard and pulled the final mob. Pineleaf, the skirmish sultan of Lotro, was defeated. That's as far as he got. But um, what happens next? As far as I'm aware, in that metaphor, Bragg would then be betrayed by the table to his death. So, not sure I want to elaborate on this story anymore. And uh, it makes me think Andang uh, is wistful, perhaps. For his old podcast perch, where he could have, uh, I'm sure, designed this into a much larger segment. Uh, but thanks for writing in, Dang, and that was a lot of fun. Um, I also wanted to talk about something I saw out there, uh, a reference to a Massively article uh, that referred to the greatest political betrayal in EVE online history. So... I'm not sure how closely any of you guys follow other games beside Lotro, but if you're aware of EVE Online, it's one of the most niche, complicated space MMOs ever created, if you want to call it an MMO. And uh, according to the article, uh, a character named The Judge betrayed his alliance, think of it as a kin, called Circle of Two, by plundering and reassigning assets uh, from their base and their base itself resulting in 1.5 trillion ISK of losses. I assume that's a lot. Sounds like, you know, unless it's yen or something. And changing the whole balance of power around an ongoing war in the southern quadrants of the galaxy. And yes, I'm probably screwing up this terminology. I've never played EVE Online. But the Alliance, the alliance leader was permabanned um, because he was looking uh, in within his, qu within his kin for the person's real-life address and uh, leaving messages implying that he would do him bodily harm, including allegedly cutting off his hand so he could not type anymore. So, first of all, Alliance Leader, take a chill pill for real. <laughs> Secondly, 
I think it's fascinating that Eve's framework allows this type of thing to happen. It really cracks the door open to intrigue in a way that other games actively try to prevent. You know, uh, other games don't give uh, players the mechanisms to be able to, yes, you can join a kin in Lotro and fake your way into getting access to their chests and then raid all the stuff and leave. And I guess that would be somewhat equivalent, but not to this scale and to this detriment to ruin like one of the largest power factions in the game and set them back you know, months or even years of, uh, of progress. Um, so it's, I find it really interesting because when I read about Eve, I feel like I'm reading about history rather than a game. It's like, you know, the, the, the tribes and the people and the alliances are writing the history of the game. And I still recall the trailer that came out for it a few years back that gave me goosebumps and made me want to play the game for about maybe 8.6 seconds. Uh, but on second thought, I'd rather keep all of my bodily extremities, thank you. Uh, but I did want to point it out to folks uh, in case they want to go online and Twitter and look for the EVE Online stories about the tw the judge and the circle of two. It was interesting stuff to me. Nothing's going on in the forums outside of Angry Moms. So in this week's action-packed episode, we are going to, as always, talk a little about, about what we've been doing in-game these past few weeks. We will discuss potential future opponents in the pits of Thorzaf, we will hear from our latest podcast sponsor, and we will review the recent poetry slam at the Harn Kegger Games. Lastly, as always, if we have any time remaining, we will end the podcast prematurely. But if we want to have time for that, we better get moving. So let's move on to our next beacon. The Beacon of Nardal, this week in game and other Tolkien news. And before I go too far, I should mention that the break I took brag and ran him through the hall of Zor Thorzaf all the way around the pit in one big circle and out the other side and survived to tell the tale uh, with the help of a run speed buff and a couple cooldowns um, see it is cool to be a guard I'm not sure there are too many other tunes that could probably do I'm sure the warden could but I'm not sure too many other tunes that could probably do that it was fun having you know I don't know a couple dozen people chasing me around the arena uh, so, this week in gaming and other Tokyan news, uh, it's been mostly Lotro. I did play um, a little bit of Shadow of Nord Mordor. I actually played a few hours and did a whole bunch of stuff and still have the same objective as when I started, <laughs> which is to kill one more general uh, to advance the storyline. Blah. So, the last general I have to get, I have to hold a guy by the neck until he screams for 18 seconds, but he's surrounded by like 15 or 20 other dudes. So... I'm not sure how I uh, managed to hold this guy for 18 seconds with that many people attacking me and survived to tell the tale. Um, you know, it probably has to do with, uh, you know, dropping bees nests on a bunch of guys and maybe grabbing him as he's running off or something like that, but it's going to be tough, I think. I had to read up on techniques to take on tougher generals in Shadows of Mordor. There's a lot of people that post articles saying, okay, I found this guy. He's invulnerable to ranged. He has a shield. He can't be somersaulted when you try to jump him over the top and attack him from behind. He hits hard. He's surrounded by bodyguards, etc. How do you kill this guy? And it's uh, apparently not easy. So, you know, there are some solutions people say out there where, you know, some ideas like use your Wraith Flash or use the environment to like, you know, have something explode next to him. You know, but a lot of people are like, yeah, there's no easy way. It just takes forever. You got to run around in circles and find things that you can make explode next to him. 
A couple people said maybe try to pin him to the ground with an arrow and run and attack him from behind, but that doesn't work if he's surrounded by other bodyguards too. So you got to burn down bodyguards and yeah. So anyway, you know, depending on where you find the guy, if he's in an area that has an endless supply of guys coming to help him, uh, you know, you don't have time <laughs> to sit there and you know winnow him down little by little. If there's going to be waves of guys that are going to continually be coming at you, so. So I'm not the only one that looks like who's had this problem before. And so, you know, I've just been trying to complete other missions and uh, gain some new abilities and strengths in general uh, that might make me hardier before I try some of those more difficult ones. Um, I should mention as well, there was a Humble Bundle sale that occurred this past week. And I bought what is supposed to be the scariest game in the history of PC, which is called Amnesia. If any of you guys out there have played it, please do let me know. But it's supposedly about a descent into madness. You're supposed to put earphones on and turn all the lights off and immerse yourself in the music and the sound effects and get the bejesus scared out of you. Uh, I haven't really played scary, super scary games before. Um, so, uh, you know, aside from maybe Bioshock, I guess you could consider that kind of a horror game a little bit. But... Uh, I'm interested in seeing what my reaction is, so if I eventually get to it, maybe I'll try to play it around Halloween, and I'll let you know how it goes. From a movie perspective, the big movie that's been out these last couple weeks is obviously It. Uh, I am a Stephen King fan. I've read a majority of his books, although in recent years I haven't kept up with some of his newer releases. Uh, but It was certainly one of my favorite books that I've read from him. Uh, I especially liked the juxtaposition of the young characters versus their adult selves going through kind of parallel experiences and how they impact each other I always thought was uh, one of the most interesting parts of that book so in the movies they chose to do um, the entire movie about the kids and then uh, save the entire movie about the adults for for chapter two uh, which is probably easier to film it'll be tough to follow up the parental sequel as the kids were so good um, by the way, this movie is great. <laughs> I thought it succeeded as a horror movie. It's like a horror movie that's crossed with Stand By Me. It has that kind of person, you know, perfect dialogue with the characters and the kids, kind of their interplay with each other that kind of rings true. Um, just like Stranger Things, it's got a little bit of that 80s nostalgia in it and kind of the bonds that the kids share. Uh, and they just found some really good actors for the uh, uh, for the kids that are that are part of the show, especially liked uh, Vin Finn Wolfgard, uh, who was from Stranger Things, uh, did a great job in this. I thought he really had presence and nuance in his lines, and, and you know was really funny and and uh, and personable as well. So, and uh, there were certainly some jump scares. I, I I saw the movie in a full movie theater, so there were lots of people kind of curled up in their seats, hiding their eyes and yelling the screen and screaming in certain places which is always fun when you go to see a horror movie uh so i thought they did you know as much as you could take an 1100 page novel and divide it down into two movies <coughs> obviously they have to cut tons of material but um you know a lot of the things that the original 1990 miniseries got wrong in terms of how they showed elements uh, you know perhaps it's the additional budget and the cgi and how long it's come but you know all those things they got right with this iteration so uh, i really did enjoy it and recommend it to you uh, unless of course you are a uh, horror movie f 
unfan, seeing as someone who would never go to see something like that in the movie theaters. Uh, but uh, to me, it was succeeded, was good. I actually saw it twice, um, once with the kids and uh, once with uh, kids who, um, uh, some friends that wanted to go as well. So, um, and enjoyed it both times. Uh, no book reviews this week. Let's go on to Lotro. What's Bragg been doing? He bought a pair of boots, further delaying. So I've been saving Ashes of Gorgoroth for one of the gold rings. I think they're like 2,700 Ashes of Gorgoroth. And I was up to about 2,000, so closing in on acquiring at least one of them. Uh, but I decided to buy a pair of boots that go for about 400 Ashes apiece because uh, I had a significant improvement over what I had gotten from landscape and drops to date. And I thought it was worth the extra grind uh, to go ahead and uh, and get that pair of boots. So the ring can wait. Uh, you know, I think there's choices to be made there where you could get four or five uh, different pieces, you know, teal pieces for the cost of one gold ring. And depending on the drops you've gotten and how active you've been, that may be worth doing versus going for the gold ring. <coughs> <coughs> I've been doing allegiance dailies and finishing up. Uh, there's there are deeds to finish up continuing quests in each of the five zones to complete like ten different quests that are there for allegiances in each of the five zones. And in th in two of the regions, I've finished the continuing quest deeds. And in about three of the regions, there's two quests missing that just aren't coming up. Day after day I look in the Allegiance Hall at the board and those quests are not available and I'm starting to suspect that they might be bugged or um, you know out of the rotation and so not being released because of some issues with them. So we'll see if they come with the next dot release or if there's uh, perhaps it's just luck in the draw and they'll eventually appear but uh, it's suspicious that there's two in each instance and that they haven't come up over several weeks of questing yet and I've done a lot of the others, you know, at least two or three or even four times in some cases. Um, I did open up the Hobbit Allegiance line with Bragg in order to get the collectible quests active again. <coughs> uh, so I had finished the quest line for the dwarves, the allegiances, and got to level 30. Which, um, because of a bug, uh, took two collectible quests out of the rotation that are not available <clears throat> once you reach level 30 which uh, allow you to collect additional allegiance points if you're doing them uh, I did read in the latest release that they're fixing that and making those quests available whether you've gotten past uh, level 30 and up to full level in your allegiance or not <coughs> but in the meantime I can uh, collect those things using my uh, using my hobbit allegiance and uh, and like that. So I'll probably wait for the other ones until I get some of my alts through their first allegiance. But of course I have to get them to level 210 in order to be able to do so. I did get uh, the lore deed done for getting all the pages in all the zones. I've been chipping away at some of those uh, deeds over time. And that was one of the first ones I got done. Um, this past week I finished uh, the weekly Scorch, Scourges quest. So that's one of the weekly quests that's available. One is to do all the ins resource instances during the course of the week. And the other weekly quest is to uh, go out and hunt down all the Scourges. So there are Scourges groups that pop up typically in World Chatter, uh, LFF, when those ones appear. And, um, you know, the last Scourge that you go to get, which is um, out in the Gershgram, um, is a Kerog sitting out there in the middle of the islands, in the middle of the lava. 
Did, has anyone else noticed a lot of scenes out in the Gershgaram where uh, you know the the landscape doesn't blend quite perfectly, and if you cross the seam, you end up kind of blinking back, and you know ports you know mysteriously a few feet to the left, and things like that. It just seems like some of those seams out there in the Gershgaram, you know, they're knitting together multiple zones in that center. I think. And it's not 100% clean in a lot of cases. So I'm not sure if they'll go back and fix that. It is pretty easy to get hitched or stuck out there, which makes adventuring out to kill the final scourge an adventure. Uh, along with the pain in the neck fumaroles that can pop up and follow you around. Um, and some of the inevitable raid deaths caused by lag when jumping over the lava streams. I have a new theory. I was out looking at the Gushgram, waiting for my friends to join me. I'm looking at Orodruin erupting into the air, the lava pouring down the sides of the mountain. And I said, you know, Orodruin is the source of great power in Middle-earth. You know, it drew Sauron in. It became the centerpiece of Mordor. He used it to forge the rings of power because it had one of the, you know, the, one of the hottest locations on the planet, um, you know, that was needed in order to forge the ring and the only place where it could be undone. So why is all this power centered in this volcano of Orodruin? Is it some form of, uh, you know, earth magic, uh, you know, or is something buried there? What is buried underneath Orodruin that could be causing this? Maybe the source of the power of Orodruin is uh, that there are Balrogs buried under that mountain. What do you think about that theory? So in the first age, there were tons of Balrogs that were, um, not tons, a number of them in Sauron's army, obviously led by uh, the Lord of the Balrogs, whose name also coincidentally was Gothmog. And uh, he was supposedly killed after the Battle of Gondolin, uh, when he was facing Echthelion and uh, a helmet was thrust into his stomach after you know he was about to render a death blow. A helmet was thrust into his stomach and the two of them fell into the fountain of Echthelion in Gondolin and his flame was supposedly put out. But what of Gothmog or some of the other Balrogs that fled some of the great battles of the First Age were buried underneath the mountain in Orodruin, causing it to become an active volcano? Um, we all know where Durin's Bane came from, buried deep in the earth. Hmm. It's caused a lot of disturbances around the foundations of stone and so forth. Interesting theory. Tell me what you think about that one, but maybe the devs want to build that into a future raid. We could fight double Balrogs just to one-up the rift. Yeah, I could get behind that. Um, <clears throat> So I still have quite a few deeds in the log for Bragg uh, to continue on for Mordor. And uh, one other thing I did want to mention, uh, so I'm chipping away at those over time, through mostly through the Allegiance quests. I've got to find some rare rare Mordor treasures and maybe a couple, one or two more locations. <clears throat> and some Slayer deeds, of course. Um, I did want to notice something I've been uh, observing with Bragg as I was lamenting the DPS challenge of the Guardians. It, it is getting better. Uh, as I've geared up, I'm doing significantly more damage than I was, speeding things up. You know, every little bit helps. But one thing I was noticing when I was looking at his damage is that, to me, there appears to be some kind of problem with Guardian Shield damage right now. <clears throat> so my tooltip... When I look at my shield smash, which is the uh, the last in the chain of skills for the guardian shield cycle, says that I'm supposed to be doing uh, over 9,000 damage uh, when I hit with a shield smash. And that's partially due to the fact that I have uh, an imbued weapon legacy 
which uh, gives that skill, I think it's like plus 60% or something like that. So I'm supposed to be doing, you know, over 9,000 uh, damage with my shield smash. And as I'm watching my combat statistics, or as any time I'm doing a fight, I'm consistently hitting for half of that. So basically about 4,600 um, time after time after time. And uh, I can crit, obviously, but I, I notice when it's a crit or a devastating hit when I get something upwards of 15 or 20K uh, worth of damage. But the, the, you know, the amount in the tooltip, 9,187, is is never there's never almost never a damage amount that's that and it would seem that that would be common you know i know there's additions and modifications and subtractions but but why consistently half and i think some of the other skills as well in the shield line of the guardian are not hitting the full amounts that i'm seeing in the tooltips so i went out to the forums looking for people complaining about it and uh could not find any corroboration for my theories um, you know, as if guards don't have enough issues with DPS. If I was actually hitting for my shield smash for 9,000, a lot of my fights would be over a lot more quickly. Um, you know, could it be finesse? Uh, partial block percentages that aren't sh actually showing up in the combat logs? I guess those things are possible, but, uh, you know, again, I, I would see them sometimes, right? Even if it was a low uh, percentage chance. I think it's maybe more likely that, you know, there's something wrong with the imbued legacy. So maybe that extra 60% damage is not getting applied. Uh, anyway, if you have a guardian, take a look at your shield smash tooltip. And next couple times you fight, observe how much damage you're doing with your shield. And, uh, you know, I'd love to have uh, some people feedback telling me, nope, it's working exactly as I'm projecting. I'm getting the damage the tooltip says largely or... No, you're not. And, you know, if there's additional folks that are experiencing the same issue, I might think about entering a bug and having it, uh, having the devs take a look at it if they can. Uh, like I said, guards need all the DPS they can get. So what's my mini been doing? Well, she reached level 106. She's collecting allegiance tombs, but she can't use them until she gets up to level 110. Um... She's my cook, so might need some food soon. Been using a regular supply of food in all my questing to make it easier for my garden capti. And uh, <coughs> I have a feeling I'll be kick cooking soon. Uh, my capi at level one is level 115 and is about halfway through Teleth Your Eye. About to head into Nairband next, which um, is a challenging part of that zone, that's for sure. Uh, he's completed Dol Amroth and now Lingris. And uh, have and I have to say, I, you know, second tune through Lingris, and over this past week, after several solid days of questing in Lingris while simultaneously cleaning out and organizing my basement, I'm about done with spiders, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I was seeing them in my sleep. The ones from my basement and the ones from Lingris. And uh, that's not a good combination to have. Uh, you know, real life and game life kind of echoing each other with that disgustingness. So... I'm happy to be in Talithurai at this point. Um, Fushimbal is done. Thorzal is now completed. And Nelagrand uh, and Nairband coming up next. And that will leave Argonath uh, to complete the quest lines for my Cappy. Um, I did some jewelry upgrades for my Cappy now that I'm capped. And Cappy DPS is slow. That's why I did Cappy and Guard first. I talked about that previously. Um, 
Herald pathing has gotten me in trouble a few times in some of the zones. When you're sneaking around behind tents so as not to aggro folks and the guy like just runs right through the middle of the campfire or around a big rock that he can't figure out how to go over and brings 12 guys to you, yeah, that's not so good. So sometimes when you're uh, avoiding combat, it's good to dismiss that Herald <laughs> and uh, only summon him when you're about to initiate it. Um, because that pathing has gotten me in trouble a few times. And I did, I don't know if I noted it in my last podcast, but when I started out right at level 105, my heralds were weak. They were getting beaten in like three strokes at the beginning of a fight. <coughs> it wasn't even worth resummoning them. They were dying so quickly, but they they seem to be better later. So at level 115, they're hanging in there. So that's good. Um, one other thing I noticed, I want to generate new Cappy standards uh, for my... Um, you know, for my flags, for my banners, using my uh, Doomfold Master Taylor, and they have no crit outputs currently. So the crit output for the Anorian banners for captains is better than the ones for the Doomfold right now in the Taylor class, which is uh, a little disappointing. Obviously, hoping they'll address that soon. Have not seen it in the um, in the notes for the next dot release, but uh, hopefully they are aware and are working on it. What else has been going on? Loremaster ground out a bunch of uh, scrolls today for my other tunes. Everyone else has been a little sitting around. Arcade did a little crafting for the new Cappy standards. Warden, no, no, no. I think that's it for Lotro for this past week. Let's move on to Erlas. <laughs> Okay, so we talked a little bit earlier about uh, the fighting pits of Thorzaf and why I like that change of pace questing. And uh, I mentioned, wouldn't it be interesting, you know, there's a bit of a crapshoot as to who comes out uh, for your opponents. You get three per quest and three quests, so you see nine different guys and a tenth at the end. And it seems like there's nice variety in there. They've got some goblins, they've got some orcs, they've got some uruks, they've got some trolls, they've got some half-orcs. They even have a pair of twins, right? And the guys have some funny lines in there as they come to attack you too, so pay attention to that. But... What if there were different opponents that were available to come out in the next fighting pit, uh, you know, in the future? It is a repeatable quest. Maybe if they added more over time, it would get really interesting. And it started me thinking, what are the top 10 opponents we'd like to see come out in the next fighting pit of Thorzaf? Number 10, another Balrog. Hey, maybe one was buried underneath the volcano of Ordruin. It would explain a lot, wouldn't it? Uh, although I think I'd be turning around and running at that point in time. Number nine, I'd like to see Mordorith. I still can't wait to mess this guy up one final time. Number eight, Jajax. As long as we're allowed to go out drinking together after the fight. Number seven, Jean-Claude Van Damme with glass shards embedded into his tar-dipped knuckles. Okay, that was like a little bit sorbet to cleanse the palate, but... You can kind of picture it, right? Number six, Shelob, just so you could watch people crap a brick as she came out around the corner. <laughs> can you imagine people's faces? <laughs> Number five, Horn. Hey, he was supposed to be dead anyway. Why not kill him in the fighting pit? Number four, Bill Fernie looking really confused. Number three, a mirror universe copy of yourself. Just add a little black goatee and mustache. Or maybe with the new avatar graphics removed. Mind blown. <laughs> Number two, Darth Vader. Okay, slightly lore breaking, but imagine how cool that moment would be if he just showed up there, right? And number one, 
Uh, number one opponent we'd like to see in the fighting pits of Thorzath, Lobelia Sackville Baggins. Actually, it would be pretty fun to see her beating some armored war troll over the head with her umbrella, wouldn't it? So what are your ideas, viewers? Send them to me, and I will read off the best ones in the next podcast. Sound off. We're at the fifth beacon of Minrimon. And now for the original weekly sponsor segment. This episode of LTB is brought to you by Allegiance Air, official airline of the Mordor expansion. Remember, you get frequent reser miles every time you have to run back across the map from a Mordor res circle. And as those miles pile up, and trust me, they will. You can cash them in for free one-way tickets to any number of exotic Allegiance Air Res Circle destinations, including the Ice Bay of Forshell, the Shores of Evendim, uh, the Bay of Belfalas. What else? I can make something up. Um, you can go to uh, the Goblin Town. Uh, you can go visit uh, the Shire. So fly Allegiance Air today when you want to get away. Some terms and conditions may apply. Not all destinations are available on all travel dates. Award tickets have no cash value and are non-refundable. Fraud, misinterpretation, abuse, or violation of applicable laws, including not limited to Allegiance Air, conditions of carriage, Gondorian law, and program rules, is subject to administrative and or legal action by inappropriate Middle Earth authorities and Allegiance Airlines. Such action may include, without limitation, the forfeiture of all Allegiance points and any accrued frequent reser mileage in a member's account, as well as cancellation of the account and the member's future participation in the Allegiance Points program. In addition, Allegiance Airlines reserves the right to take appropriate legal action to recover damages, including its attorney's fees incurred in prosecuting any lawsuit in the Gorgoroth Circuit Court and of the usage of Nazgul Collection Agency as, as deemed appropriate and or expedient. Thanks, Allegiance Air. Want to get away? Frequent reser miles, really? Uh, the Sixth Beacon of Callanhad. My Harnkaker Games experience. So Harnkaker Games ended this past week. It was a sprawling, rollicking week of activities. I continue to be staggered by the uh, plethora and variety of events that are available. And really, if you've attended some of them uh, by going to Laurelin and either uh, running along and, and viewing some of the goings-on or participating, hopefully, you'll, you'll see that it is one of the best-run player events I've seen. Uh, so kudos to the organizers. The, the website has all the information. It's very well organized. All the results are published, the medals, the times. Uh, the judges have uh, the snappy patter down. They are organized, and uh, all the people behave themselves, and it's great. And uh, Cordovan was involved this year. He Twitch-streamed most of the Harnkeger games, I think, at one time or another, are available out on YouTube from the Twitch streams of those activities, and he even narrated in a lot of different cases. So uh, I caught the end of the Drunken Shire Merchant Run this past Saturday, which was the sixth day of the Harnkeger games, and... Um, I was uh, I appeared early in Laurelin with my level 10 brag, uh, which unfortunately there is a brag in Laurelin, believe it or not. So I had to create my when I was creating characters and reserving my space uh, several years ago. I had to create a brag with two G's. So B R A A G G is my brag on Laurelin, and uh, I appeared in Laurelin. He's level 10, uh, just uh, high enough to get some of the zones you need to get to recommended to observe some of the activities. And I caught the end of the Drunken Shire run. I was uh, simultaneously watching it in-game as well as uh, playing it on a Twitch stream next door. And I saw folks running back and forth, and um, it looked like it was a, a really good time. Um, I went over to the Ivy Bush Inn following that. 
to prepare for the Honkager Poetry Contest. Uh, contest. As some of you may remember, I actually entered this contest last year. Um, I have written poetry in the past. I enjoy writing poetry, and I always look for things to motivate me to write more poetry. So I took that opportunity last year to write uh, Entish Dreams, a hasty poem, uh, which I entered in the contest. I was particularly proud of that poem. I, uh, I just liked it personally, the way it came out. Uh, but I did learn from reading it and reciting it, even using um, the plug-in lyrical in order to be able to do so more smoothly, that uh, for the audience and the venue and the way um, you have to say in the lines one at a time and keep them flowing, it's a bit of a dense poem uh, for that kind of audience. And so I don't think it landed the way I wanted it to. It's, a, it's more of a poem that kind of invites reflecting on each line and kind of uh, chewing on it a little bit, um, understanding the different implications of the, of the, um, of the, you know, of the stanzas. So it didn't play well in this particular instance. So I took that in mind and I did, uh, create something, um, slightly different for this year's event. And, uh, there were only six contestants in the event this year. And last year, I remember there were 10 plus, I think there's a max of 15. So slightly disappointing, but better odds for me, obviously, uh, first place was won by a dwarf, yay, named Rongar. And uh, Rongar narrated his poem at the front of the stage. And uh, he had two kinmates doing theatrics behind the narration for the entire event. So it was very well organized. Uh, they were using emotes and interacting and saying, you know, making comments to each other that kind of accentuated the stanzas that were coming out up front. I think it was a a piece about the a quest for um, one of the early, in the first stage, for one of the Palantirs of Mordor or something along those lines. And um, and it was very well done. And I knew as soon as it was finished, it was going to be hard to beat that. Uh, you know, having the three tunes that were collaborating and corroborating each other and amplifying each other's performances. Uh, but I did the best I could. So the rest of the, um, the, rest of the participants were all single poets like myself and um, I used plug the plug-in lyrical which uh, which I definitely recommend if you're ever going to do any storytelling or even I'm sure that even the the event runners use it for relaying instructions and so forth so they can have them all kind of mapped out ahead I assume and uh, the fun thing about lyrical is in addition to um, being able to say lines in game uh, you make sure they're spelled right and they can come out quickly you can include emotes actually in the script so that you can uh, do emotes kind of coordinated with your uh, with your character although uh, one again one constraint is that if you have a level 10 character uh, first of all, you may not have a lot of outfits to wear. <laughs> Second of all, you may not have a lot of the emotes acquired that you can find in-game. Uh, so your, uh, your repertoire is somewhat more limited. Uh, but Bragg did take home second place uh, in the Harnkager Games Poetry Contest. I was very excited about that. Actually, all three spots in the Poetry Contest were filled by dwarves, which allowed us to catch up a little bit in the standings. We were lagging behind. I believe um, we came up a little bit short, eh, pun intended, to the elves who won for the first time of the overall contest. But I'm happy that I contributed to the Dwarf Nation and we were able to close the gap at least slightly. 
Uh, I did earn 25 gold for my second place finish in the contest. Uh, don't know what I'm going to do with it on Laurelin, but if I ever decide to level that character, he'll have a little something padded away. Uh, for Maybe I can transfer it using the transfer tool. I'll think about that, but may not be worth it for 25 gold. In any event, I share with you now an original composition uh, that I gave for the Hunkiger game submission. Often told around the fire at my favorite tavern, the Green Dagon Inn, on stormy nights when the trees are a rattling and the wind is a blowing. The cautionary tale of Bartolo Boffin and the Great Barrow. The tale I tell today, tis true, of a ne'er do well who came to rue the day he set out from the Shire. With dire plans did he conspire to ferret out a fortune far from farms where up he grew. In fact, his friends were far and few. Bartolo, a boffin born, a bully whom the baggins scorned, was a trial to kith and kin, for sins too sundry to begin. And so at thirty-three, out he was tossed, and none did mourn. Not even Uncle Bingo was forlorn. Rather than soil his lazy hands, a daring deed instead he planned, to raid the tomb of Othringroth, at tales of the dead he'd often scoffed, and live a life of leisure laced with loot that he would land. Think furry toesies in the sand. So he set out across the marish, swam the river, nearly perished, hauled from dock and crawled across Buckland, quaffed a few brews from a pub he ducked in, steeled with liquid courage to faced forest old and scarish. In fact, it was nightmarish. In favored dreams he finally emerged from a frenzied forest fears discouraged. But he knew that he'd found the barrows, and harrowing cold seeped in his marrow as he shied from shambling shades reciting dirges. Poor pathetic Parian, beset by scourges. At last at mighty Othringroth, Edane burial mound of wrath, he hesitated on the doorstep. No riches could compel one more step. And amid his dark despair, he turned his eyes aloft. And on the air, faint echoes of a warming whistle waft. A whistle heard, now clearly keened, stronger still and pure and clean. Afore the wound of Othringroth, it brought memories of his family's croft, a soft and gentle touch of home serene. And suddenly he knew how stupid he had been. But before he could turn away, a shade of Cardolan's dismay screamed and reached to draw him in. Light's fury flashed amid the din, and he felt his mind slipping away, a feeling he sore remembers to this day. When at last he found his wits, or when at last his wits he found, he descried two eyes a twinkling down, smiling at his form supine upon the banks of the brandywine. You halfling sure find trouble by the pound. And over the hills the odd man capered with a bound. So Bartolo staggered home that day. A hobbit changed in most every way. He joined the bounder's burly band and always gave a helping hand, never again to speak of his journey's way. But the hair on his toes was ever more white than gray. The End That brings us to the seventh beacon of Halafirian. Sorry we ran out of time to end early. Hopefully next time. It's time for Blessed Relief. 
I'm officially putting a little amber-colored bow on the 72nd episode of Light the Beacons. I would love to hear your plaudits, feedback, rants, diatribes, and most of all, your constructive critique. You can contact me at bragsonofbalan at gmail.com. It's Bragg with two A's. The second A stands for Alpha Flight, the second best Canadian supergroup. Or my website at lightthebeacons.com where you can post comments directly on the podcast. I kindly request you take the time to create an iTunes review. Perchance you're so inclined, I would very much appreciate it. If your comments and sore me to forego, incite me to forego my legendary dwarven apathy, I will try to include them in the next podcast or at least respond in some way. So I hope you either laughed either at or with me. I hope you might have learned at least a little something you didn't know before. Perhaps looked at the game with a slightly different perspective. Maybe got edumacated by my poetry. And most of all, I hope you enjoy this week in Middle-earth. Treat it like it's your last. Ring every last ounce of emotion and fun and pleasure out of it. This is Bragg, son of Balan, signing off. Baruch Kazad. And remember, the next time you feel compelled to do stuff that's scary and bad, don't despair. Light the beacons. <laughs>